1: Hello, welcome to the Heritage Radio Network's Farm Report, live every Wednesday at 5. So, your host, Heather Hyman, and I'm here with my special co-host today, Patrick Martins, and we'll be speaking with Colleen Rapp, who Hi. is um, of the Rare Hair Barn, who raises rare and heritage breeds of rabbit in Leon, Kansas. Colleen, um, we're so happy to have you here with us today. How's everything going? Everything's wonderful. Thank you guys for having me.
2: I really appreciate it.
1: Anytime. Um, we're glad to have you here with us. Um, so, Colleen, just uh, if you could give our listeners a little background. You've worked with the American Livestock Breeds Conservancy um, in the past, and can you explain to us a little bit how you got into raising rabbits and what your position there was?
2: Well, um with the American Livestock Breeds Conservancy, I just rotated off of the board of directors and was the outgoing board chair. The ALBC is an organization that my husband Eric and I are, are very strong supporters of. We believe very deeply in their conservation mission and dedication to preserving heritage breeds of livestock, which includes rabbits. Mm-hmm. And um, our farm basically started um, with the rabbits. We just wanted something a little bit different. You know, after about the 8 millionth food recall, (laughs) we decided we wanted to have a little bit more control over what we were eating. Um, Both Eric and I have elderly parents, and, you know, diet's a big concern with them. Mm -hmm. So we thought uh, we would just try rabbit. Eric had raised rabbits off and on, you know, most of his life. So um, it was just kind of natural. And we started out with just about 8 cages in a little shed, off of my hay shed Mm -hmm. and then we expanded to another building off of that and then eventually my hay shed got taken over by rabbits and Mm -hmm. we've just kind of kept expanding since then
1: so that that hay shed is now the rare hair barn (laughs) yes it is yes it is (laughs) well um I, i i wonder how many breeds are you raising right now um at the rare hair barn
2: we currently have six breeds um, the most majority of which are on the ALBC conservation priority list. Um, which, if um, you're not familiar with those, there are three of um, there are eleven breeds total on the ALBC conservation priority list, and four of those, the American American chinchilla and silver fox and the giant chinchilla, are unique to North America. They're not found anywhere else. Hmm. And um, we have the American American chinchilla and silver fox um, in our barn. We also have the Blanc de and the Cream Dargent, and then we also have a um, a small group of Champagne d'Argent, which are actually not on the conservation priority list, but as one of the oldest breeds of rabbit, are just interesting to keep around.
3: Well, I have a question. Um, I know like um, breed associations started like in the 19th century for pigs. You know, horses. People have always been passionate about you know documenting the various breeds. of of horses now i know with goats for instance there were no real breed associations until like the 1900s or something early 1900s they were like oh we should do something for goats um you know and they were late to arrive as a as a you know as a livestock breed that got that kind of attention where do rabbits fall in that i mean with names like american and, and this and that i mean how far do you trace their Genes back and and tell us a little bit about the history of documenting genetics in the rabbit world
1: and how you acquired those genetics. Is okay, what I was wondering about
3: too.
2: Okay, um, one of the oldest breeds of rabbit in the world is the Champagne Dargent, and there have been historical references of that breed dating back to the fifteen sixteen hundreds. Um, so the, these breeds have been in existence for quite a while, but it wasn't until the early eighteen hundreds that rabbits kind of became a big thing and. Fanciers began keeping rabbits in their, in their rabbit trees and experimenting with different colors, varieties, breeds, and things like that and so that's where you started to see the really incredible diversity in some of these rabbit breeds and um, there are several breeds that can take trace their ancestry back to you know the early 1800s and um, you know clubs that were founded then. It was uh, really a pretty big deal hmm. Wow! And where,
1: where was this? What country are we talking? It sounds French in a way.
2: Um, exactly. France, it really is kind of the cradle birthplace of rabbits. That's where the earliest rabbit breeds were developed. And from there they spread through Belgium, uh, Germany, England, and then over to the United States. Rabbits were really a big thing in the United States until about um, the 1890s, early 1900s. Mm. And then you had um, a phenomenon that they call the Belgian hare boom, in which Mm. thousands and thousands of Belgian hares, which are also on the ALBC conservation priority list, were imported Mm. into the United States. And people would pay just incredible amounts of money for these rabbits. Um, One Belgian hare buck sold in 1901, I believe, for... $5,000. $5,000. Oh my
1: lord. Which
2: would you know, be literally hundreds of thousands of dollars today. Yeah. So it was uh, really a, a pretty big deal at the early turn of the century.
1: And what, what, why do you think it was worth that much? Was it the hair that they wanted from the Belgians or was it the meat quality?
2: Um, you know, I think in that instance, it was a competition thing. Uh-huh. The Belgian hare was very popular in the showroom. And um, so I think that was why, you know, they commanded such huge prices. But then you also started to see the emergence of a lot of these other breeds, like mm-hmm. the American, the Silver Fox, all of which were created in the you know early 1920s as kind of a response to this Belgian hair boom.
3: Interesting. Yeah. I mean, with Michael Pollan's book, Botany of Desire, like talks about people investing you know, millions of dollars back in the day in tulips, you know, and uh, pig genetics. Like, you know, if you felt like you had like a winning pig and also just a desire to I mean, even apples in this country, if you had an apple tree, everyone was always trying mm. to win a competition for best apple on their farm. And uh, there was like a myriad of names and people would name it after their farm name and they would hope that that would become the mm. new Spitzenberg or the new Red Delicious. And so it's funny how um, also I guess it was a famine based culture back then.
0: People, right. people
3: I, never knew what the next winner was going to bring. So, of course, to invest in the best genetics was uh, something closer to the home, the heart, the stomach.
2: Right. I Yeah, I definitely think so. It was, uh, you know, the best insurance policy they could get. And, you know, the nice thing about rabbits and how they play into that is because they are so sustainable. And they can be raised successfully in a smaller space than a cow or a pig or something like that. And they're the you know, best, so they, they,
3: the metaphor, right? They, they, they have sex like rabbits, right? What, what better uh, food can you have than an animal that has sex all the time?
2: Exactly. And
3: do they have sex all the time? Tell us a little bit about their sex lives. And are they monogamous? Are they doing it night and day? Do they have seasons? Uh, tell us about the origins of this uh, meta, you know, the saying. Yeah, how do they breed?
2: <laughs> Well, I can I can only really specifically speak to what we do at the rare hair barn. But because we are working with these heritage breeds that are low in number, we try very hard to keep as many diverse lines among these breeds in our barn. So we control very strictly which bucks get to breed, which does, and, you know, record all the litter data, everything like that. Mm-hmm. And um rabbits are basically seasonally um in heat most of the time. Mm-hmm. They um, they're induced ovulators though, huh. which means that um, the doe does not ovulate until the buck actually mates with her, oh, wow. and so then she ovulates and then goes <laughs> ahead and carries the litter. So, but I think um, you know because they have such a fast metabolism and everything like that, um, I think that just seems to work well for them.
3: And they have sex a lot when they are in the same room together, or well, I mean, I, where does the metaphor come from? Then I mean. Or do they have many babies with each mating, or what's yeah, the- what's
2: a litter size like too? well, it it depends. Um, we average about eight to ten kits for each of our does, you know, on average. And I think um you know basically what you're referring to when they when they say breeding like rabbits is it's referring <laughs> to wild rabbits oh. who seem to just constantly crank out litter after litter after litter.,
1: hmm.
2: um, you know, it's a genetic, survival strategy for them because they are a prey animal mm-hmm. so you know if they have one or two litters a year that actually make it to adulthood you know that's pretty good
3: and one last so question I, about the history rabbits are local to everywhere like back in the day i know the chicken came from indonesia where the was the rabbit was it typical of many different parts of the world
2: um generally they believe that the first rabbits were found in spain okay and um you know picked up there by Um, Sailors and taken back to France and just kind of made their way around from there. But I think that's where the first rabbits um, were picked up. And all domestic rabbits are descended from the European wild rabbit. Mm. And the incredible variety that you get amongst these breeds is just from different mutations that have risen over these years that people have capitalized on Mm. and um, used to create the, the incredible diversity of breeds.
1: Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'd love to talk a little bit more about how you've acquired these genetics and uh, where we're going with the rare hair barn and the future for rabbits in America. All right, thank I'll you. We'll be right back.
0: Come at boys. boys.
3: For the Alabama Tubaline, well. your step. One nigga Joe jumping around his toe. It will it go. They call his hand
1: Back with the Heritage Radio Network's Farm Report, um, airing every Wednesday live at five. Remember, for any questions, you can call in at seven one eight four nine seven two one two eight, and uh, we'd be more than happy to have you uh, ask your question on air with our guest, Colleen. You're with us, yes, still here, enjoying uh, the music. Wonderful. Um, so, uh, Colleen, uh, how do you go about acquiring um, such uh, hard to come by genetics?
2: I'm very persistent. (laughs) Um, We just started out, you know, obviously when we found out that we were going to do rabbits um, with our commitment to ALBC, we wanted heritage breeds. So I basically just started doing research, started contacting people. Um, We've driven thousands of miles to pick up rabbits Mm -hmm. um, and just kind of acquired them that way, talked to as many people as possible. You know, I love to find old-time breeders of these breeds that have had them for decades because they're such a wealth of information and generally have such great genetics. So, you know, it's just a matter of doing a little detective work and um, being persistent. Um, And
1: now, um, aside from, like, them being on, you know, the conservation list, are there any other reasons that you've chosen
2: to um, raise the select breeds you have? Well, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Kansas, but we can have all four seasons in the same week. <laughs> so we That's need the word. we need breeds that are hardy, that are both heat and cold tolerant, and that can you know tolerate extremes of temperature and everything like that. And uh, most of these breeds, you know, like the the three that we have that are unique to North America, mm-hmm. you know, they were developed in the United States. Um, they're adapted to different climates. You know, in the United States, and so that was a big draw for us.
1: Right. Well, um, and now, like, what do you do with the byproducts? Like, for example, you mentioned the silver fox and the American chinchilla. Does that mean that that's like the same kind of chinchilla fur you'd find in like a beautiful fur coat? That causes- um, it
2: is. It's it's very much the same. And unfortunately, the fur market. Tends to prefer the pelts from white rabbits Because they can be easily dyed So I haven't developed a, you know, market for the pelts, Um, we do, I am playing around with a little home tanning Mm. of some different pelts, Um, you know, I may be in a few years just the crazy rabbit lady in the patchwork (laughs) fur coat, but, you know, I hate wasting any of that kind of stuff, so I'm experimenting a little bit.
1: Yeah, well, if any of our fashion people are out there listening, uh, feel free to email me anytime at heather dot com, and I can put you in touch with Colleen, and maybe we can have some uh, American Heritage jackets coming out. Now, let me ask,
3: um, do the rabbits sell in uh, pieces? I mean, do you ever, like, do people buy the breasts or the legs, or are you always selling rabbits whole? And what's the general market out there?
2: Um, Generally, we sell them whole. Um, We can have them cut up into smaller pieces, but, of course, that adds to the cost. And so the whole fryer seems to be the most economical product that we can supply, and um, we deal with several restaurants who, when they get them, um, they get them fresh, and then they break them down, you know, fabricate them, do whatever they need to with them, and then, you know, of course, the Heritage customers um, seem to enjoy the whole fryers also.
1: Now, I know, like, for example, when turkeys and chickens are processed, sometimes, like, not the whole bird ends up coming out of the slaughter um, in a pristine condition. Um, does that happen with rabbits, where sometimes you do end up with uh, not a whole fryer and you have to then make use of the other meat?
2: Um, generally, no. We're we're very fortunate with Crables, our processor. They really do a good job. They're very conscientious. So we have not experienced, um, you know, anything like that. Pretty much everything we take in, we get you know, an entire usable fryer out of.
1: That's a, that's a good thing. Um, and now, um, when you're um, actually eating the, these different breeds, are people able to discern the taste differences among them?
2: Um, believe it or not, yes, sometimes they can. Um, like, for example, the Blanc de Oto, mm-hmm. um, we've noticed, and some of the chefs we've worked with have noticed that that seems to have a little bit sweeter taste, And a little bit paler color. Um, And, you know, so I mean, it's very subtle differences, but I do think that there are, you know, some slight differences between the breeds.
1: Um, and now, have you ever, um, like brought people to your barn and done any kind of like demonstrations on, you know, how to raise them or how to process them on your own, on people's own land? I know here, like in Brooklyn, people raise rabbits in their backyard. And even actually where we're broadcasting from out of uh, Roberta's last November, they had a little, um, rabbit, uh, processing demonstration here where they actually butchered rabbits in the backyard
2: right we've not done anything like that at our farm um, we have done some workshops on teaching people how to raise rabbits how to select breeding stock and you know kind of get into the rabbit business we've done several presentations for the ALBC um, but that's really about as far as we've we've kind of explored that
3: and have And uh, let me ask, I mean, that Kim Severson article, for instance, that covered that story, did that lead to an increased demand? And, you know, why aren't there more rabbits being produced? I mean, of all the ones eaten in the United States, why are so few of the heritage variety?
2: Well, I think partly because um, the New Zealand and some of the other more common breeds, um, number one, they're white so you possibly can get the pelts out of that as well. And I think a lot of people really just don't know about the heritage breeds, don't know that they're out there. I mean, most people, uh, in, unfortunately, a lot of people just think of rabbits as pets. Um, you know, so these uh, meat-type historical breeds really have just kind of fallen out of favor.
1: And now, would you be willing to share genetics if uh, other farmers were going to come to you to say, that, hey, I want to raise, you know, heritage rabbits? Are you trying to, you know, further the movement, um, you know, with your own genetics and the breeds that you've, you know, selectively bred?
2: Whenever possible, we do. I mean, obviously, the, the demand can't always meet the supply, but mm-hmm. um, we have helped several people kind of get started with their own small breeding herd. And, you know, anytime we can help someone who's truly, interested in conservation of rare rabbit breeds, we try to do that whenever we can. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and now, um, just like, for example, are, do you, oh, well, my question is, do you have a favorite way to prepare a rabbit so that you really can get the best taste, at, uh, you know, the best uh, experience of the taste of the rabbit?
2: Well, one of our personal favorite ways is we have a small rotisserie oven Mm -hmm. and we will cook triers in that, and the meat's just incredibly tender, you know, just a little bit of marinade that cooks slow, and it's just incredibly tender and really just falls off the bone. But to be honest, my answer is, I will eat it however Eric cooks it. Hmm. He does most of the cooking in our family, and I am fine with that. Well, that's really nice to hear.
3: So um, what is your production schedule, and where do you hope to grow it to?
2: Um, Right now, we are in the neighborhood of about 50 to 75 fryers a month, and we're hoping to be able to double that over the next um, you know, few months. We've expanded our rabbitry again. Um, we've actually built two new barns this year. So um, right now we're in the process of selecting replacement animals and um, kind of working up so we can increase our production a little bit.
1: And um, I I wonder, how big is uh, a doe when she's, um, like, how big are the does? Is it kind of like pigs where, like, the mothers are huge animals compared to the rest Um, of the... the...
2: Relatively so. I mean, a good, healthy breeding doe for many of the breeds that we work with will weigh 10 or 11 pounds, Mm. which doesn't sound like a lot, um, but they can become big girls.
1: Right, because when a rabbit goes to market, what, you're usually aiming for, like, two and a half pounds or something like that?
2: That would be the fryer weight. Um, We're usually shooting for about a five-pound live weight. Hmm. And then, of course, by the time you process, if you wind up with a 50%, 60% dressing percentage, you're doing pretty good. Right. So Uh we usually wind up with a two-and-three-quarter to three-pound fryer.
1: And what is the age of a rabbit when it goes to, to get processed to be brought to market?
2: About 16 weeks.
1: 16
3: weeks. So, Okay. And um, how and what does it cost you? I mean, uh, I mean, whatever you're at liberty to talk about in terms of costs, like heritage breeds versus regular breeds of rabbit, how does that work?
2: You mean as far as like breeding stock? Yeah,
3: or Or, um, um, for um, meat?
2: Was that a cow? It was actually, I'm I'm at work at the zoo, and there's a cow right outside my (laughs) office.
3: Wow, which zoo do you work at?
2: I work for the Sedgwick County Zoo in Wichita. We have okay. the largest collection of heritage breeds of livestock of any zoo in the country. I couldn't help so, but ask. Uh,
1: I knew there yeah, wasn't a yeah. cow in our backyard right now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that.
2: <laughs> oh, that's awesome. thought you had your own sound effects board. <laughs> yep, no, just live. So, you know, I mean, we're pretty well, we're steeped in rare breeds at our house. <laughs> well, Awesome. <laughs> Uh,
3: that's amazing. And tell us, that zoo has the largest rare breed uh, collection of, of livestock breeds?
2: That's right. I mean, we have mm. breeds that are as rare and diverse as like a piney, uh, Pineywoods cow,
0: yeah. a
2: White wow. Park cow. We have a Ugh. Poitou donkey, American Cream draft horse. Um, you know, we, we've got, I think at one time I counted that we had about 30 breeds that are on the ALBC list.
3: Wow. Yeah.
2: I think Heritage so. needs to take a field trip. Yeah, uh, you're, or you're certainly get the director.
3: What's your position at the zoo?
1: I'm the senior zookeeper of the children's farms, which is where we house the rare breeds collection. Wow. wow. You need to take us on a tour, or we got to get a virtual tour. we got to figure something out to show people.
3: That is yep. amazing. Well, um, and then uh, what else? I mean, what other, do you have any exotic animals there, or is it mainly just like the livestock world?
2: Oh, no. At the zoo, we have um Several, several exotic animals. I just am a cow lover, mm-hmm. and I'm totally into the rare breeds. So, you know, I just very rarely come out of my area. But we really have an incredible zoo here. We've got some wonderful species, some great zookeepers, and really, it's a it's a great day job.
1: They must really like you if they allow you to have your favorite animals, like the cow, just hanging out outside your office.
2: Yeah, totally. exactly. <laughs> yep,
1: yep. It's it's. Uh, Great place to work. Well, Colleen, it's been great to have you on. I'm really excited to hear that you guys are expanding the farm. Um, and uh, actually, I think Heritage is going to have the opportunity to um, sell some of your fresh rare breed rabbits um, at the uh, very beginning of July. Nice. So, um, Yep. Take a look at heritagefoodsusa.com or sign up for their uh, for our email list um, to get an update as to when you'll be able to try Colleen's Rare Hair Barn uh, Fresh Heritage Rabbits. And um, thanks so much for being a guest today. We will definitely have you on again. And um, thank you to um, Jack and Nat for producing and engineering just, today.
3: Just Nat.